Hello and welcome to everyone to the audio study guide of Northwood Baptist Church. My name is Trey Rhodes and I'm the Connections Pastor here and we are in the middle of the book of Genesis for those joining us and for my older listeners, I just want you to know that we are now doing this as a podcast and so it's going to be a little more generalized in the sense that um, uh, hopefully helping some other people work through passages of scripture uh, as we go through Genesis in particular. So uh, anyway, all, to all of our Life Connection Group leaders and all of our care group leaders and our uh, co-teachers, thank you for coming and being a part. And if you are new, uh, welcome to the journey. We are uh, journeying through the book of Genesis. Today we're going to be in Genesis 7 through 9. And I just want to give a shout out to how hard our Life Connection Group leaders are working. And it's just been amazing to see what God has done as as in the month of um, April, we averaged 360. And um, we're off a little bit this week, but uh, let's not give up. And uh, let's keep on going after people. And as I've reminded you many times, we're having uh, over 700 or right at 700 people on Sunday morning. And so if we're averaging 360 in Life Connection Group, that means that there's about 340 or so that are not in Life Connection Group anywhere. So uh, when you see someone... You have a one out of two chance that they are not going to Life Connection Group. So uh, it is a great opportunity for you to say, hey, love to have you in my Life Connection Group. We can sort out the rest later, whether they need to be in your Life Connection Group or somebody else's or something like that. But, uh, you know, of course, it would be awesome for you to be out there asking. And if you would like to be a part of Life Connection Group here at Northwood Baptist, as we are going through the book of Genesis in our small group, then uh, please join us this Sunday. We have uh, services at 9.30 and 11. Most of our Life Connection groups meet at 9.30, so if you'd like to be a part of that, we would love to have you. All righty, we'll open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7, and we're going to be talking about God bringing us through. And uh, just like in Noah's life, when uh, God was able to bring him through the most dire of consequences, in the same way, God is able to bring us through when when. The horrors of things like the hurricanes that have come through, whether it's Katrina or Hugo or whatever, those of us that have experienced those things, there is nothing that is scarier not knowing what the answer is going to be at the end. In other words, you can't see the end from the beginning. You don't know what's going to happen uh, when the night before the night's over. You have no idea if hurricane is going to blow your windows in and destroy everything inside your house or if the flood's going to come up and, and literally float you away or make you crawl up into your attic or uh, you're concerned that you're not going to have electricity so you won't have uh, any way to keep your food cold or you won't have uh, ways to uh, to see. You know, uh, we, we have a few candles probably for storms. But, you know, all those things are going on and we just don't know the answer. Um, so what we have is Genesis 7 and the horrors of what's going on in Genesis chapter 7. So if you'd like to turn there and follow along, you're welcome to do so. Uh, but it's it's horrific because with for the except the, uh, for Noah and his family, his direct family, and of course the animals, the the fifty or so thousand animals that were on the ark, every other living creature was destroyed in a universal catastrophic flood. And that, and when we say that, of course, we understand that the fish would not have been. Um, but other than the aquatic mammals and the aquatic fish and the other things that are in the ocean and uh, Everything else would have been uh, done away with. So this is a horrific thing. Um, this is a story that we have of divine judgment, and, and but we also have incredible mercy. 
because Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord in the midst of that. It was grace extended to him. And his life was spared, but the flood wasn't easy for Noah. He had to endure the storm. Even though he was protected by God, he still had to go through that storm. So, if you're in Christ, the bottom line is, you are safe from the storms of life. God will bring you through. Don't ever underestimate what God can do to overcome. And because you're assured God will bring you through, we need to make two commitments. So let's talk about those, and we'll get right into the questions. Number one, God does not forget me, so I will not forget him. Uh, we, we are reminded that the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. We, we read that last week in Genesis 6-5. The Bible tells us also right now that the wages of sin is death. This is in the New Testament. This is New Testament belief. We find out that God waited patiently in the days of Noah. God was very patient, but he had run out of patience. And in the midst of that, God speaks to Noah, and he tells him to enter the ark with seven pairs of clean animals, because sacrifice would have to be made after the flood, and two pairs of unclean animals, and seven pairs of birds of the sky. So um, we have this idea that what, what was going to go on because of all these animals were being protected in the ark, but didn't know how, how it would be able to come out in the end, right? Uh, verse 4 tells us of chapter 7, seven days before it would storm, there were seven busy days, these animals entering the ark. Verse 5 says, Noah did everything the Lord commanded him. Wow, how many times could we say that, huh? Anyway, and he entered the ark just as God commanded in verse 9. But listen to the details. Here's, here's Moses writing about Noah, and he says, I can tell you the exact day it happened. At verse 11, look at it. I can tell you the exact, and he goes on to describe that day. Because from Moses... It was a real day because it was a real day. And, and when you hear these things, then you begin to hear the same sort of thing that's going on in Genesis chapter 1. If you go back and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you hear God separating the waters from the land, the order out of chaos, and now chaos is now coming to an orderly world. But it's still the same sort of picture of what's going on. So on the same day, God shut Noah in the ark, verse 16, and God would protect Noah. Um, and so he takes out everything with except those are in the ark that has breath of the spirit of life in the nostrils. I read an interesting thing about what about the insects? Did Noah have to bring all the insects on? Well, probably the insects were able to float on things. As, and uh, we all know that ants and cockroaches and all those things can get through just about anything. Um, but uh, they don't have the, spirit, the breath of the spirit. They don't have that. They don't breathe through their nostrils either, do they? This is mainly talking about the mammals. Uh, the insects kind of had to fend for themselves. And obviously they did because they're still here. So anyway, 40 days it rained like crazy, and that wasn't easy. The rain finally stops. Flood water surged for 150 days. That's five more months. And so the ark is up there floating on open waters, and there is no land. Um, you know, this wasn't like a cruise ship. This was this giant boat with under no power, just rocking back and forth. Can you imagine the seasickness? You imagine just getting your, your feet and having nowhere to feel like they could stand, you know. Um, it would have just been really tough. So, you know, all this, though, was God's plan of salvation for Noah's family. Now, you can imagine Noah saying something, are you for real? Come on, man. This is what salvation is? And maybe during all that time, he, he certainly could have had questions about whether he was doing the right thing and how it was going to end and where are you, God, and wherever, are we ever going to get off of this? And then in chapter 8, verse 1, we have the turning point of the entire book. 
uh, excuse me, of Tyre uh, account. It says, um, God remembered Noah as well as all the wildlife. You see, God had never forgotten Noah. And so whenever we hear that in the Bible, that, that means when he says that God remembered, and whoever it is, God remembered Rachel. Um, uh, God caused uh, a great wind. And Anyway, you hear these things that are going on, and when God begins to do these things, you know that God is about to act on someone's behalf, and he does that for Noah. He acts on his behalf. And then after the 150 days, the ark rests on top of the mountain. Uh, we, hear, we hear a specific place, not just, it didn't just land anywhere. It says it landed on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to recede, and then the 10th month went from when the flood started. So was it safe to leave the ark? Well, for 40 days, Noah waited before he finally sent out a raven, sent out a dove twice, twice it returned. There was no dry ground. The third time, the dove returned with a, a freshly plucked olive leaf. Finally. The land was dry. So Noah, to be safe, waited another seven days. He maybe didn't want to get his sandals muddy. I'm not sure. But anyway, he sent the dove out again, and then the dove never came back. So in verse 13, uh, in the 601st year, the waters were dry. It was dry, finally. And so um, for a year, Noah and his family were on the ark, but God remembered and brought them to dry ground. So maybe some of your people in your life connection group are feeling like they are left out by God. Well, here's what, here's what you can be guaranteed of. God gives evidence of his work when, his, when life is hard. Let me say that again. God gives evidences evidence is of his work when life is hard. So even in the most trying situations, God's going to give you reminders. If you, if you, but you've got to be paying attention. You might get a phone call from someone you haven't heard from in a while, and they just encourage you greatly. Maybe somebody sends you a card in the mail. Maybe a scripture just pops out like God himself is speaking to you because, well, he is. God speaks to us through his word. Um, maybe someone says, I just felt like I needed to be praying for you. I just want you to know, I don't know what you're going through, but I know you're struggling, and I prayed for you. Um, it, just all kinds of evidences if we will just look. But number two, bullet point, God brings you through the hard times, and this is the important thing, in his time. He doesn't do it on our schedule. He does it on his schedule. God didn't tell Noah how long he'd be on the boat, um, he, but he did say uh, that I will deliver you because you found grace in my, my eyes. Um, so if you know that God hadn't forgotten you, then you don't need to forget God. You know, whenever life's tough on us, what do we do? We're tempted to run away, aren't we? We say, I don't want anything to do with God. If God loved me, he wouldn't allow. We, we hear those things. We, we've even thought those things. So stay stressing or stop stressing. And then stay hopeful. Remember, God got you through your last difficult season, didn't he? All right. Uh, number two way that we um, are able to recognize what God is up to. Um, this is the commitment that we make when we recognize that God has not forgotten us, okay? Number two is this. God will not forsake me, so I will not stop praising him. So... Noah walks out of that door. It's a step of faith. He's, you know, he's, I'm sure he's imagining what, what in the world's, what is this like? And so if, you know, what would you have done if you'd been the first person off the ark? I don't know. Maybe you'd run around, maybe kiss the ground. You know, I don't know. But uh, after this year of horrible, horrific, horrible things going on, what is Noah's first action? Worship. We found in verse 20 of chapter 8, Noah built an altar. First time someone builds an altar in the Bible. And Noah offers a sacrifice when he gets off the boat and he worshiped God because God had not forgotten him. 
God had not forsaken him. And then we get to Genesis 9. It sounds similar to Genesis 1. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth because that's what they had to do now. But notice something. Everything changes, yet nothing changes. God recreates the earth with one family, but he will recreate the earth in a fallen world. God tells Noah to be fruitful and multiply, knowing that Noah would fill the world with S-I-N-N-E-R-S, sinners. The judgment of God removed sinners from the earth, but it, it didn't remove sin. On the earth was a family who were a family of sinners, and Noah walked with God, but he wasn't perfect. God makes an unconditional covenant with Noah. First time the word covenant is used in the Bible. Now, a covenant is a relational promise. When God makes a covenant to someone, he's saying, I'm giving myself for you for your well-being, and nothing you can do will ever stop me from giving myself to you. You see, a covenant is selfless. Um, you know, he did, this is what he said to Noah. He said, I will never strike down every living creature as I have done. That was the covenant to him, that he would never do it again. And God, every person on earth then benefits from that covenant that he made with Noah because none of us have been struck, struck down by a worldwide flood ever again. You know, uh, Pastor Tommy talked about the bow. Remember the bow that he will set in the clouds? We call it a rainbow, but it's not a bow in the sense of like we think, of, like it's bowed like a rainbow. It's a weapon of war, just like a, a bow and arrow. This is a weapon of war. It's a reminder that God has set his wrath aside. It's a reminder that he is gracious. Um, and, and, and I think it was Spurgeon that talked about that the bow pointed uh, to heaven and not earth. Why? Because there'd come a day when another storm would come, another day of judgment and wrath, a day when the sky would go dark and the earth would, a day when the bow of God's wrath would not be pointed at us, but it would be pointed at his eternal son. Here's Noah, this incredible man of faith. He's written up in, the, in, uh, in Hebrews 11, in the, in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. But even as great a man as he was, Noah was not the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Let me tell you who is. Jesus is. He's the sinless man. He is the one who went to the cross and died the death we deserve and rose again to give his life abundant. Now, you need to say that. Don't gloss that over in your Life Connection group. People need to hear the gospel every week, folks, okay? So don't gloss over it. The flood didn't destroy sin. Here's who destroyed sin, Jesus. When you come to Christ, you become a part of a new covenant in which you are promised that God will never forsake you, ever. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 tells us that. And every time you look into the heart of the storm, you see the rainbow of grace. Remember that that's where Jesus went. If you're not a believer, just like in the days of Noah, there's going to come a time when grace runs out. Today, in his mercy, he is giving you an opportunity. So remember, we don't stop praising God because we always know the best is yet to come. We don't stop praising God because we know God is the God of the second chance. And we don't stop praising God because we know God is the God of covenant. Alrighty, well, let's jump into the questions and try to do a good job on... Um, figuring out how this works into our daily lives and how we can help understand the Word of God. And uh, do allow opportunities for your people to ask questions, by the way. And if you would like to ask a question uh, concerning uh, this, uh, this study on Genesis, then you certainly can email me. My name is Trey, T-R-E-Y, at NorthwoodBaptist.com. Trey, T-R-E-Y, at NorthwoodBaptist.com. And uh, just ask whatever question you like. If you'd like me to pray for you, encourage you, whatever. That's what I'm here for, okay? All right, let's jump into honesty time. You might want to pick out one or two of these. Uh, I'm going to jump straight to number two. The story of the flood is a story of grace and judgment. Listen to this. How would you explain grace to someone who is not a follower of Jesus? 
So uh, how would you do? How would you describe that? If somebody didn't follow Jesus and understood what grace is, my concern is that we have Christians that don't understand what grace is. But anyway, it's another story for another day. Why is grace central to the gospel message? Why is grace so important? All right. Now, if you want to get a little bit more, um, if you want to get a little bit more into what we're talking about today, you can actually use number one, talking about sharing your group a challenging time in your life when you saw God bring you through. Because that's what the whole message is about, is about God bringing you through. And let them share a story or two about how they got through. And there's a few more there. If they're not talking after those two, you might want to use one or two more of the other ones. All right, let's examine the text. Uh, let's look at Genesis 6 and 7. And let's count how many times we read the word. Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. All right, so have them count that and then come back. And I would recommend you go ahead and count them and know how many there are. Um, but why is that phrase repeated? You know, and then how about this? Why did God, why did Noah obey God? Why, why did Noah believe when no one else did? So we had this one guy in all the earth that did everything God asked him to do and believed when no one else would, would believe. What does Genesis 6 and 7 teach us about how God chooses people for his purpose? How about uh, what does Genesis 6 and 7 teach us about how we should respond to God's grace? We respond with thankfulness, don't we? We respond with, uh, we respond with obedience, just like Noah did. We respond in obedience to God's grace, just like Noah did. Um, and that's exactly what he wants us to do. Because in our minds, in our hearts, and in the world's hearts, every inclination of the human mind, we learn in, uh, in Genesis 6-5, every inclination was nothing but evil all the time. And uh, we find out that God's patience had run out, and then the flood was about to fall. Now, Moses gives us a lot of details in Genesis 6-7. He tells us exactly when the flood starts. Remember the specificity of that? Um, so uh, that's in Genesis 7-11. He tells us exactly uh, how long the, the rains came on the earth in Genesis 7-4. God also told us um, that Noah uh, numbered the days before the, he had before the flood. And no, it also, that's also in verse 4. And note the different numbers uh, that Moses gives us in Genesis 8. Okay, here's the question. Why does Moses give us all these numbers? Is there any significance here for us? Let me tell you why. Because it was real. It was a real event. As Moses is writing this, Moses is saying, I can tell you when it happened. I can tell you the number of days before the flood. I can tell you um, what, what was going on in Genesis 8. I can, I can tell you because... I know the history. This is a real event. This is You don't give numbers if you're just kind of giving some symbolic thing. You give numbers to prove a real event. That's the significance, that we can trust that this really happened. All right. Now, let's read Genesis chapter 7, uh, verse 11. Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. And you want to go ahead and turn there, have somebody ready to read it. Uh, but if 7, verse 11, we read this. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the sources of the watery depths burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. All right, now compare that to Genesis 1-2. If you go back to Genesis 1-2, it sounds very similar. It talks about God had divided the, the water from the water, and the Spirit of God moved over. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surfaces of the waters. All right, with those two things in mind, do you see any connection between these two verses? Now, remember what we talked about? 
that one of them had to do with bringing order out of chaos, and the other had to do with bringing chaos out of what was order. That's very significant because one is God creating and one is God judging. God's creating a perfect world in Genesis 1, and now he's he, out of this fallen world that has now happened, he is having to bring chaos to bring judgment. All right, uh, read Genesis 7, 16. So if you want to turn there with me again, Genesis chapter 7, verse 16, the Bible tells us, those that entered uh, male and female of all flesh uh, entered just as God had commanded him. Then the Lord shut him in. Why is it significant that, uh, that the Lord would shut the door of the ark instead of Noah? Because God was the one responsible to protect them, wasn't he? It wasn't Noah that was doing this. This wasn't Noah's effort. This was God's work. He would protect him from the judgment. That was the idea. Um, and, and the other side was that God had stopped. His patience had run out, and no longer would there be opportunity for repentance. What were those first couple of days like, you know, in the ark? You can imagine here God had shut the door, and the waters are rising, and outside the ark they begin to understand the fatal mistake. All that is going on. Because God shut the door when his mercy was over. He is, long, he is merciful and he is long-suffering, but his patience will run out. And it did. All right, Genesis 8.1. What does the Bible mean when it says um, that God remembered Noah? Um, he's about to do something big. And remember, he had been floating on all this water for all this time. And, and then I'm sure Noah's wondering, did God forget about me? And uh, no. God remembered Noah, and he's about to do something great. He was about to stop the waters. He was about to let the waters go back down. He was about to, we, we find out just in a few more verses that he set the boat down on Ararat, and then the waters began to dry up even more. Had God forgotten Noah? Of course not. And this verse is so important to the story because in the midst of judgment, in the midst of our most difficult of times, whatever is going on, I want you to know that God has never forgotten one single person he is with us to the end of the age with all of its bumps and all of the bruises and everything else. And Noah's first action after leaving the ark was to build an altar. Why? Why? Why would he do that? It's an act of worship. Think about it. God got him through. That's why he did it. Now, what does this teach us about worship? That, listen, a lot of things can go on the back burner when it comes to how we respond to God. When God gets us through something, we need to point. We need to point back and say, this is what God did for me. And I can't help but worship him with what he did for me. You know, he was the first person, we found out in verse 20 of chapter 8, that Noah built an altar. He was the first time, it was the first time someone builds an altar. So Noah offers a sacrifice. Um... God had not forgotten him, and he was just so thankful that God had not. Um, uh, Genesis chapter, and by the way, our worship should be our first response, not our last action. Amen. All right, uh, Genesis 9, 1 through 7. Uh, these verses, how are they similar to Genesis 1, 28 to 30? It's about being fruitful and multiplying. He says in very very first verse of chapter one, 9, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, before he was in a perfect world when he said this to man and woman, 
uh, Adam and Eve, he said to multiply and replenish the earth. He was in a perfect world, and these, at this point, perfect people were supposed to fill the earth with more perfect people. But here's what happened. In this passage, God tells them to fill the earth which, with what? What's going to be sinners. And it's all because God still has hope that one day he would send his only son, Genesis 3.15, goes back to that, that he would crush the serpent's head. This, this, one, this one that would be born of, of woman would crush the serpent's head and fruitful and multiply and spread out and, and multiply in this earth that he has given them. That's the difference. That's what happens as God does his work. All right, read Genesis 9, verses 12 through 17. Um, as you look at that, we find that God said this is the sign of the covenant. So we're talking about covenant. I am making between me and you, uh, every living creature with you, a covenant before all future generations. By the way, we are beneficiaries of Noah's uh, covenant with God or God's covenant with Noah. He said, I placed a bow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Um, this is the first place in the Bible where the word covenant is used. Um, a covenant is when, and if you remember what Pastor Tommy defined it as, so I'm going to uh, give, give it to you exactly what he says. Um, it, a covenant is a relational promise. When God makes a covenant to someone, he's saying, I'm giving myself to you for your well-being, and nothing you can do will stop me from giving myself to you. Let me say that again. A covenant is a relational promise, and when God makes a covenant to someone, he is saying, I'm giving myself to you for your well-being, and nothing you can do will stop me from giving myself to you. Why? Because a covenant is selfless. A covenant is selfless. Now, in the Bible, over and over again, we have covenant after covenant. And whenever God makes a covenant, lots of people are beneficiaries of the covenant. It's not just the one to whom he is giving the covenant to. And it extends beyond the reach of just that one person. Now, remember the significance of the rainbow, that God pointed the rainbow down, and it, and it would, and, uh, excuse me, the, it was open to earth, but it was pointed to heaven. And the bow, which is a, rain, a weapon of war, is a reminder that God has set his wrath aside, and he is a gracious God. And one day, there would come a day when another storm would come, another day of judgment would come, the sky would go dark, and the earth would as well, and a day when the bow of God's wrath would not be pointed at us, but then pointed to his eternal son, and the wrath of God would fall on him. All right, guys, let's uh, go ahead and apply the truth, and we will wrap it up for, the, for this week. Uh, number one, for an unbeliever, how is the story of the flood a warning? For the unbeliever, how is the story of the flood a warning? I mean, it's obvious, I think, but let me just make sure that you understand God's patience will run out one day. It might be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. In Noah's case, it was from the time that Noah was born to the time, the, uh, the, time it came. It was hundreds of years, 600 years. So for every lost person, remember, God's mercy will run out. For a follower of Jesus, how is the story of a flood, of, uh, of flood a comfort? Because God will make everything right. And we will see in, in, in God's 
worst judgment, we'll see the rainbow of grace and remember what Jesus did for us. Uh, did you ever feel forgotten by God? You know, have you ever been sitting there and you, wondering if Noah, in the, like Noah was, Noah said, it, it says that Noah uh, was wondering and, and, and says that uh, God remembered Noah. Maybe you felt like that, that God had forgotten you, and then all of a sudden uh, you feel forgotten. What should you do when you feel that way? I think it's obvious. If you feel like God's forgotten you, you need to go back. You need to go back and find where he's at. You need to believe him and trust him in this world that we live in. It's about trust. Um, God had never forgotten Noah. God had never forsaken Noah. And God does that for us too, and he will not forget us. Life is full of challenges. How can you know that God will bring you through the challenging days? And again, go back to trust that God promised unconditionally that he would be there for us, that he would never leave us or forsake us, that, that he would remember us as well. How can you be certain that he will act for your good and his glory? Because God has made a covenant. I'm giving myself to you for, for your well-being, and nothing you can do will stop me from giving myself to you. Remember, that's what a covenant does. How should this story lead us to worship God? Well, it's obvious he's not forgotten us. And because he's not forgotten us and he's offered us grace, we ought to be thankful. Number five, how should this story affect the way we share the gospel? If there is any time, there is a limited time to understand, it is, there is a limited time that people have to come to Christ. We've got to be sharing the gospel. They're not necessarily promised tomorrow. We don't know when the floodgates will open right? And God will send judgment. We don't know. Only God knows that. We need to be sharing the gospel. All right. How do we respond? Um, well, two ways. What do you think God is calling you to do in response to Genesis chapter 7 through 9? How do you think God is calling you? Um, and again, let them answer that and then pray for them. How can Genesis 7 through 9 inform the way that you pray this week? Um, you need to be praying for God to work in people's lives, that they will see his grace, they will see that he has not forgotten them, and Jesus is the proof of that. There's just all kind of things that you can pray for them, okay? Well, if you have any questions, like I said, call me, I mean, uh, text me, let me get the word right. My children get so mad at me when I say that. Email me at trey at northwoodbaptist.com, that's N-O-R-T-H-W-O-O-D-B-A-P-T-I-S-T dot com. And uh, I will definitely get back to you. I answer every single email that comes in. Okay, guys? Uh, if you need me to pray for you, I can do that as well. Just send me your prayer request, and I guarantee you it will be prayed for and responded to if you uh, don't cover up your e email so I can't find it. Okay? Well, God bless all of you. Let me lift you up to the Lord, and we will go. Dear Father, I thank you so much that uh, because of your mercy and your grace, you have not forgotten us. And Lord, may we as your people worship you as never before because we can trust you. We know that you have made promises to us, covenants with us that will affect us all of our lives, and we can trust you completely and totally and fully. We worship you because of that. We love you because of that. May we serve and love and please you in all we say and do this week as we remember once again that you are there for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.